familiar faces, a lot of friends. I've got, I've got some friends in this room I've had for 25 years back there, um, and also many some former students. And a lot of you I've met, I, I, I will say this about just on a personal note, um, as I do transition out of RUF, uh, I don't get to do this as much anymore. I'm going to miss this a ton. You, you specifically have been very kind to me to invite me uh, to fill the pulpit. Jonathan is a, a dear friend. has been so gracious to let me jump in with you guys. I love seeing your ministry develop here at this church. And now you are a particular church. I guess you were an unparticular church. But now you are particular. I'm really thankful for that. Excited for where you are in your ministry here. I'm really going to miss just being able to, to pop into churches like this because I, I'm kind of tied down after this uh, to one specific church. But I just want to say thank you all for your support, your encouragement um, to me and to our ministry. And please do keep praying for RUF at Clemson, as Jonathan said. That he's on that committee and they are, they are uh, going through the process of, of finding the person who will lead that ministry for the next couple of years. I'm leaving college ministry. Um, I've been working with RUF for 11 years now, uh, and it's it's uh, it, it's exciting what what is ahead, but also a lot of sad transition as well. So thankful for your prayer and for, for me and my family. We're excited for what's ahead. So what we're going to do this morning, we're going to look at John chapter one. Um, I've I've loved this text, and I've loved it uh, as I've done RUF for so many different. Uh, times I've looked at this text with students, and I'm excited to look at it with you this morning. This is in the end of John chapter 1, where Jesus is in the middle of calling his disciples. Um, we're going to read some of the testimonies of, of some of those um, particular invitations, but hopefully what we'll hear from Jesus is an invitation to us um, this morning as well, to follow him. And what does it look like to follow him? Even when we have questions, uh, even when we have doubts and we have fears, uh, what does it look like to follow Jesus in that? That's what we're going to look at this morning. Let me read this passage for us and then pray uh, for me and us together and then we'll consider it. John chapter 1, starting verse 43. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open. And the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray for us. Lord, it is true we are coming in here with many different things on our minds as Jonathan has prayed. Our hearts are 
full, our hearts are heavy, our minds are full. Uh, there's a lot going on in, in our lives, and, and Lord, you know each person. I do not. I know like eight people here. Uh, but you know each one. And you know what's on their minds, on their hearts, and God, you know the questions that we have. Uh, the laments, the fears, the concerns. Lord, we want to seriously consider what you might have to say about some of those things this morning. I pray that we would really hear from you, Jesus. Through your word and through your spirit, I pray that you would meet with us here. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together would be pleasing in your sight. Help us, teach us, comfort us, be with us, we ask in Jesus' name. My family and I uh, are about to leave this week for the next four and a half weeks uh, to serve uh, at a camp. Now, this is a camp outside of Black Rock, Camp Greystone, so you may know it. Um, Jonathan and his family served there for some summers. They've made a practice over the last 15 years of hiring RUF campus ministers to pop in for a month at a time over the summer to serve as like a camp minister. This is our third and final summer. Uh, to do that. So we're leaving this week. We're packing our house right now, moving out for a month, uh, going to Camp Graystone. Let me tell you about part of my role there because it's, it's, uh, it's pretty interesting and it relates to what we're getting at here. The way that Camp Graystone, so it's a Christian camp, it's a girls camp, it's sort of like a TV camp. Like it's an amazing camp. Um, it's every camp on a movie kind of camp. And there, the session that I'll be there, there will be about 550 or 600 camper girls, ages 4th grade or 12th grade. Uh, and there will be about 150 counselors, all college students, and then they have their full-time staff as well. My job is to come in, encourage them however I can. I teach every morning the whole camp, kind of leave a little devotional. Uh, we have a service on Sundays that I will preach at for the next five weeks. Um, and I, I, you know, just try to lead counselor studies and different things like that. But one of my favorite parts of the job, one of the most intimidating parts of the job, is every afternoon, I meet with entire cabins together, uh, and they basically fire away their deepest questions. Um, here's how this camp works. They want, they want this camp to be very uh, safe and secure and free for these girls when they're away from their homes, away from their phones, and all of a sudden their minds start wondering and they start realizing all of these deep questions that they have. And so they come to their counselors with all of their, their greatest life questions, right? And they tell their counselors, this, the Greystone staff tells their counselors, don't worry about or feel the need to answer all of these girls' questions. You don't have to do that. That's what the camp minister is here for. <laughs> and so every afternoon, I sit with these cabins of girls, and they literally ask me the, the, hard, the hardest questions you can ask someone. Questions like, why do bad things happen to good people? What's up with hell? Where did the Bible even come from? How do we know that Jesus is God? What about the resurrection? What about angels? What about other religions? What about the dinosaurs? Can you officiate a wedding between two lizards this afternoon during free time? The answer to that is no. Sometimes they get really personal and really deep. Like, how can I know that God actually cares about me because I don't feel like he does? I remember that question last summer. 
Or two summers ago, I remember a girl asking, how come God let my sister die? Like, those are the questions. And they're hard. Here's what I learned pretty quickly in these cabin conversations, is that I do not have the answers to all of their questions. Um, and even most of them. But I try to listen. We hash through some of it together. And more than that, what we have tried to do is look to see what does Jesus have to say about some of these things. It's far better than what I could come up with. Because the reality is for my campers and for my students at Clemson and for me and for you, we all have big and hard questions. Whether you are a middle schooler, you're a stay-at-home mom, or you're a retiree, you have questions that are running through your minds. We all have stuff that's on our minds every day. We have deep, deep, hard questions about things like identity and purpose and meaning and relationships and hope and failure and struggle and pain and more. We all have questions, right? What I hope that we'll see in this text this morning is that not only do we have questions, we all really do share that in common, but we actually have a Jesus who enters into our questions. Like he's not aloof and he's not distant, but he draws near even to our hardest questions. He welcomes them. And ultimately he provides himself as the greatest answer to our deepest questions. So I have two points for us this morning. Jesus invites our questions. Jesus answered our questions. First, we see that Jesus invites our questions clearly throughout this text, right? Throughout the second half of John 1, we read of Jesus calling his initial disciples. The text before this one focused on Andrew and Peter. Now we have Philip and Nathaniel. Nathaniel may also be Bartholomew, listed in the other Gospels. What we see is that Jesus approaches each person as a person, like as an individual. A unique person with their own background and personality and questions. And he does the same with us. The passage opens with Jesus pursuing Philip. And immediately, Philip responds in faith. It seems that Philip does not have so many questions. Or maybe he did. He felt that they were satisfied already. In fact, he had heard about Jesus, most likely from Andrew and Peter. And now Philip begins to follow Jesus in faith. And what was the first thing that he did after? He went to his friend, Nathaniel, and he said, We have found him. We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Philip reminds me of those who come to faith and initially have a ton of zeal, right, to share the gospel with everyone that they see. This may be you, or maybe this was you at some point in your life. Um, when faith became real and personal for you, you just wanted to share it with everyone. I remember a season where that was true in my life. In college, faith became very personal for me for the first time, and I, I couldn't stop talking about Jesus. I remember annoying my fraternity brothers by sitting on the washer in the washroom and every time someone would come in, can I talk to you about Jesus? <laughs> that, was one of, that was my evangelism strategy for a semester. Or going into the cafeteria and literally sitting at a table of randos that I didn't know at all and just striking up conversations. I had a lot of zeal for a time. And then there's times where that zeal has 
waned. And maybe you have experienced that where the normal Christian life kicks in. I don't know why. I don't know if it's laziness or lack of faith or we just get too busy or self-focused. I wonder for me, and I wonder if this is true for you, a lot of the times the reason our zeal may be sluggish at times is actually because we may feel insecure about talking to others about our faith. We're worried what will happen I begin to talk about Jesus with my friend or my neighbor or my coworker or my family member? What if, what if they have questions that I can't answer? See where we're going with this? Philip believed that Jesus was the exact answer to his deepest longings. You hear it in his voice on these on the pages here. We have found him. He's had a real personal experience with Jesus. But Nathaniel was not so sure. In fact, he was skeptical, maybe even cynical. Here in verse 46, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, before we get into that question, we'll talk about the question. Notice first the brilliance of Philip's response. He doesn't get defensive. He doesn't argue. Also, he doesn't question his own newfound faith because someone asked him a question that maybe he couldn't answer in that moment. Instead, he humbly and confidently invites his friend, come and see. Come and see. These are nearly the exact words that Jesus used in the passage before this. If you have your Bibles open, you can look up to the passage with Andrew and John. Jesus asked them what they were seeking. And when they responded, he said, Come, and you will see. And now Philip uses these very same words as his evangelistic model to engage his skeptical friend. Something we say often at our ministry on the campus is that we want RUF to be a come and see Christian community on campus amongst the university. We want students to feel safe and confident that they really can invite their unbelieving friends to explore the truth claims of Christ. Whether that's through the large group meetings on Tuesdays or to their small groups or to a conference or whatever the case may be, to be a part of a community of Jesus on the campus. We long to be that at Princeton University. And I would imagine you long to be that as a church in this community. It is your heart to be a come and see kind of community here at Greenville. Do you know what one of the most effective forms of evangelism is in our day? It's invitation. Invitation to a home group. Invitation to a lunch. Invitation to a special service. Do you have, do you have questions about your faith? Well, come and see. In other words, what Philip is modeling for us is that we don't have to have all the answers to all the questions. We can't have all the answers to all the questions, but we have a Jesus who really does invite our hardest questions. And let me just say for a moment, you may be a person who is coming and seeing right now. And I just want you to hear from this text, Jesus knows that. Jesus hears you, and Jesus invites your questions. Now to Nathaniel's question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Like, is he just throwing shade at a rival town. That's kind of how we've always read this. Can anything good come out of the armpit of Israel? Kidding me? 
Go get that reference. I, I don't think that's actually what's going on here. The more I've studied this and read some scholars who know what they're talking about, most likely it's that Nathaniel actually knew his Bible. Nathaniel did not associate the Messiah as coming out of this little town of Nazareth. That didn't make sense to him. The son of Joseph, that's not, that's not the Messiah. Based on his own understanding of Scripture, this couldn't be the one God promised. In other words, Nathaniel's question is a legitimate question. And your neighbor's questions are legitimate too. And yours are too. And Jesus invites questions all throughout the Gospels. I hope you can read the Gospels with that lens in mind, just reading and thinking about how Jesus hears people's many different types of questions and how he is patient. He can handle them. He can take our hardest questions. In fact, you see that in this passage. Jesus doesn't run from Nathaniel. When he asks him a hard thing about Nazareth, he's not defensive, he's not dismissive, but instead, what does he do? He actually is now moving toward Nathaniel. He's moving toward his questions to begin providing himself as the ultimate answer. You see this in verse 47 to our second point. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him, and he said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, he remembered the fig tree, I saw you. Now, what is going on in this part of the text? Jesus' first response to Nathaniel is to basically say, I know who you are, and I see you. The Israelite indeed with whom there is no deceit. Some New Testament scholars say that this may be a reference to Jacob in the Old Testament. Remember, Nathaniel knew his Bible. And so this may be a reference to Jacob in the Old Testament as a way of Jesus saying, I know who you are, and I know what you know, and I know what questions are on your mind. So he immediately sort of disarmed Nathaniel, and Nathaniel's like, how do you know me? Jesus said, I saw you in the This is suddenly like an M. Night Shyamalan Brian Johnson's movie plot twist, like, I saw you under the fig tree. Is that me? Scholars, biblical scholars, all agree on this verse and what it means. What they say is they have no idea what it means. No one seems to know what Jesus meant when he said, I saw you under the fig tree. It doesn't seem that he's saying, I saw you physically under the fig tree. It seems that it's more than that. But Nathaniel clearly knew what Jesus meant. We might not know what Jesus meant. Nathaniel knew what Jesus meant. Because his response is so dramatic. Rap, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. What this tells me is that Jesus knew exactly what Nathaniel needed to hear in order for him. What was going on under that fig tree? I don't know, but Nathaniel knew, and Jesus knew, and Jesus knows exactly what you need to do. He knows your exact questions about faith. He is very personal in that way, and he comes to provide real answers for real questions. This interaction reminds me of how Jesus 
dealt with Thomas's questions after the resurrection. You may remember this story where Thomas was the disciple who had his doubts, right? He's kind of known for it. John chapter 20, you can read this story later. He was the one who had not seen the risen Christ with his own eyes. He told the other disciples, this is what he said. He said, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my fingers into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. It's emphatic. Do you remember how Jesus responded when he came into that room? He comes into the room, he appears into the room, and so tenderly he looks directly at Thomas, as if he's the only person in the room. And he says, Thomas, give me your finger and place it in my hands. Give me your hand and put it in my side. Do not disbelieve. Believe. Jesus meets Thomas right in the very place that he doubts most. And he provides himself as the answer to Thomas's very specific concerns. Now, you have specific questions. Maybe you have doubts this morning. God knows. God sees, and he hears, and he sends Jesus to enter into your questions. Maybe you have questions about identity. Who am I really? Jesus comes to tell you who you really are. You're a believer. He tells you that you're a beloved child of God. That he loves, that he uniquely and individually created to know and love him, to serve him, to be known by him, to be with him. He knows who you are. Maybe you have questions about meaning. What is the point? Jesus I need help, I need guidance, I need hope. He comes to give you purpose and he comes to even give you specific ways in which you can serve him with your whole life. Jesus, you may come to him with questions about security. How can I feel loved and safe in this world? Jesus comes to provide himself as an answer, the ultimate answer for eternal security. And it provides a community, a community like this one, to remind you of these things, to comfort you, a place to be known and to be loved in. Jesus doesn't diminish or dismiss our questions, but he leans in and begins to answer them with himself. Listen to his response to Nathaniel. He said, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe me? You will see greater things than these. Jesus doesn't want Nathaniel to just have this sort of quick mountaintop experience and just move on with his life. But he wants him to plant deep roots in the good soil of the gospel from where he can continue to grow his faith and flourish as a follower of Jesus in this world. Because Jesus knows that these kind of momentary experiences can come and go, but questions still come. We have to be rooted in something deeper. And so two things really do matter, experiences and faith, 
and like theology. And both are important in the Christian life. Like emotional experiences with Jesus matter. And so does like biblical knowledge and depth. And Jesus is challenging Nathaniel. And he says, I'm so glad you've had this experience. You're going to see greater things than this. In other words, you're just beginning your journey. Go deeper, follow me, and see what I'll do next. Truly, truly, you will see heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Okay, one note about that. Remember, Nathaniel would have known his Old Testament. So Jesus is referring back to a story found in Genesis chapter 28 about the, one of the patriarchs, Jacob, who had this dream where he sees a giant ladder going from earth all the way up to heaven. And the angels are going up and going down this ladder. Jacob, follow this, Jacob is Abraham's grandson, Isaac's son. The essence of this dream is that God is telling Jacob that the promises that he made to his grandfather now continue to him and his generation. That God would bless the world through this family. That he would reverse the effects of the fall through his people. That he would come down and he would fix all that is wrong in the world. That he would restore it to himself. That he would use his people in this cosmic restoration promise, process, project. God is promising Jacob that he will come and he will be with his people and he will right all the wrongs of the world. That's what that text is about. He will come and he will do that. So now to this text, Jesus is telling Nathaniel, who, remember, is one of the twelve disciples after this. One of the twelve apostles. And Jesus is saying to him, Nathaniel, I am the latter. God said he would come down and he would right all the wrongs in this world. I have come down. When you have seen me, you have seen God. Jesus is saying that the answer to your deepest questions isn't just a good argument or airtight logic or great theology, but ultimately the answer is a person. It's the person of Jesus. And this is what makes Christianity so fundamentally different than every other religion in the world. All other religions non-religions argue in one way or another that we must go and find God. We must search deep within ourselves for meaning, that we must go up and perform or prove ourselves to a greater power. But Christianity says, we can't. No. We can never go up. People have tried that and failed. We can never search within ourselves to find meaning deep enough. We will always long for more. We can never perform enough, we can never prove ourselves worthy to God, but God came down. In the person of Jesus, God descended. He made a ladder. His name is Jesus. You see what's happening? The Old Testament, the patriarchs, the foundation, the law and the prophets. The New Testament, you come and you hear the apostles. Jesus meeting with them. It's one story. And it's one story of God saying, I will come and I'll write up all the wrongs. I'll fix what is broken. I will draw near to you. And I'll take you home. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? 
the answer, of course, is everything good came out of Nazareth. And before that, everything good came from heaven. Jesus came to bring hope and healing and life, purpose and meaning into this world that has been so broken by the effects of the fall. And the work that he has started, he will one day complete. So the questions that we have, even the deepest ones, he will one day, one day answer. We may not have all the questions answered in this life, but even now he does move toward us. In our doubts, in our fears, and in our insecurities, and even in our pain. To say, I know who you are. I know what you're going through. And I'm here with you. I'll close with this. One of my favorite stories from uh, last year. I think this came out like last summer. I remember seeing a headline about where these art uh, exhibits in the National Galleries of Scotland and these art experts made this discovery where they were preparing for this upcoming exhibition. They were studying uh, an 1885 painting from Vincent van Gogh on the head of a peasant woman. And they were running this painting through an x-ray scan. I don't know what they were doing, but they were doing the work. And they were trying to figure, you know, learn more of the history of this particular painting. But they ran it through this x-ray scan that they have, and what they found surprised them. Because through the scan, looking at the head of the peasant woman on this x-ray, they saw the head of Vincent van Gogh in a way that they had never seen it before. What they learned is on the reverse side of the canvas, underneath all the layers of the cardboard and glue, Van Gogh's face was on the reverse side, and it lit up on the x-ray screen. They had no idea it was there the whole time, hidden in plain sight all these years. As many of you art historians well know, Van Gogh would often hold his craft by doing self-portraits, because he was too poor to regularly hire models, and so he painted on the reverse side of his canvases for practice. But what I love about this story is he had been there all along, <clears throat> hidden in plain sight, but it took them moving toward the painting, like it took them studying the painting more in order to learn more about the painting, right? It took them leaning in exploring the painting and they more and more came to see the artist. Here's what I would suggest to you. As you think about your questions, as you dig into your questions a little more, as you even question your questions, right? Doubt or doubts. Perhaps what we will discover is that underneath all the layers of our searching, you might just find more and more of a self-revelation of God himself. Like through our exploration, through your longings, you might find more and more about the God who gave you a heart. Through your intellectual questions, you might more and more discover the God who created your brain for thinking, right? Through your most sincere concerns that you have in the world, what you might discover is a Savior who agrees with your deepest concerns whose heart breaks at the loss of this world too. Who moves toward us 
even in our pain. Jesus, who knows something about identity and meaning and loneliness and even suffering, entered into this world to invite us to follow him, to come and see greater things than these. And he wants to use you. He wants to use you as a church community to invite others in this community to come and see this Jesus who is making all things new. Would you pray with me? Lord, I do pray that you would help us in our searching. You would meet us in our longing, that you would show yourself as the answer to our hardest questions. Lord, I pray that you would be those who invite others to come and see this Jesus. And that you would provide yourself as the answer over and over and over again. We live in a world that is so broken and so hurting and so longing for answers. Would you move toward us? For your glory and for our good, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.